You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. When Mrs. Fox asked fantastic Mr. Fox why he broke his promise to her, his answer was, because I'm a wild animal. She asked the question in Wes Anderson's adaptation of Roald Dahl's children's story, underground in their den or warren or whatever it is, as tractors rumble overhead because the farmers have had enough of this chicken-stealing fox. Twelve fox years ago, Felicity moans, you made a promise to me while we were caged inside that fox trap that if we survived, you would never steal another chicken, turkey, goose, duck, or a squab, whatever they are, and I believed you. It was the night she had told Mr. Fox that she was pregnant. He was going to be a dad. And now she begins to cry. Why did you lie to me? Because, Fox replies, I'm a wild animal. But you're a husband and a father, she says. Fox hangs his head. I'm just trying to tell you the truth about myself. There's a tension in Mr. Fox's life, and it's explored in Wes Anderson's movie. It's a tension between who Mr. Fox knows himself to be and who he wants to be. See, on the one hand, there's his nature. I'm just a wild animal. On the other hand, there's his aspiration to be a husband and now to be a father. He comes face to face in this tension with this very difficult question. What is the truth about myself? And I don't know about you, but I feel that same tension in my life between nature and aspiration I make a promise to myself on Monday that finally, at last, I think I get it and I'm going to be more patient with my wife. And then somehow, 24 hours later, I find myself on Tuesday back in the old chicken coop of short-tempered irritability. And I think, what just happened there? I made a promise to myself that I broke. Now I find myself... Uh, uh, broken promise to myself not being who I want to be failing even my wife and I ask myself how many times can I break a promise to myself before I end up just shrugging my shoulders and throwing up my hands in resignation and saying that's just who I am I'm a wild animal or in my case I'm a northern European introverted impatient grump (laughs) it's just my nature And try to somehow make an uncomfortable peace with that reality. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like there's a pattern in your life that you really don't like, but it's so entrenched that after a while, you just suspect it's your destiny and resign yourself to it? Do you ever look at other people that you admire at school or work or church, and you just know you could never be like them? Have you ever faced a dramatic loss? A loss of a job or a spouse or your health. 
And fear that that person or that thing was so much a part of who you are that without them you will not be able to live? Do you ever grieve over your sin and repent and then see it all come back again into your life? It's so easy to fall into the quicksand of despair. To say, I just don't know what to do about this. This is what I want to be, but this is who I experience myself to be. I'm a wild animal, and I'm just trying to tell you the truth about myself. Well, the good news is that you and I are not the first ones to wrestle with the tensions and the intractability of human nature. The people in the first century did as well. The people around Jesus Christ did as well. And Peter was one of them. Peter, he knew the truth about himself, didn't he? Peter was the guy who denied Jesus three times. But he also came to believe there was something more about him. More than that denial represented. More that offered him great hope and promise for his future. More that dared him to aspire and to live into those aspirations. Peter would use this phrase, and I want to explore this with you this morning. It's an amazing phrase. He knew that he was a participant in the divine nature. See, it wasn't just his nature in the equation, but somehow, in some mysterious way, God's nature was in the story of his life as well. I want to ask you to open up your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you're looking at the Pew Bible, the black book on the rack in front of you, you find this text on page 988. It's it's Peter's second letter, and he he writes it to a group of people who are struggling with their sense of who they are and who they feel called to be. And um, Peter uses this phrase, this powerful phrase. It's the only place that comes up in the scriptures, the participants in the divine nature. I want to ask you to look for it and listen for it as we read this text together. Uh, If you're able, would you stand with me? And let's read out loud 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, all the way down to verse 9. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust, And may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. 
central question of this text, as I read it, is can a person change? Now, his audience is skeptical because this is a period of time, mid-50s, when the gospel is beginning to move out of its Jewish context into the broader Hellenistic or Greek culture. And as it does, there is a bit of embarrassment about the rather strict moral and ethical imperatives of Jesus Christ. And some followers tried to diminish this discomfort by minimizing the potential that our lives could really be all that Jesus has described for us in the Gospels. Come on. Jesus is cool, but his ethics are rather impractical. Look at around you. You know, the, the Greek culture was a very morally lax culture, and so they might have said, everybody's doing it. This is just the way we are. But Peter is not buying it. Nobody would question the aspirations. This list of things that you just read who uh, begins with faith and it ends with love. And in between, there are things like goodness and knowledge and self-control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection. Even in the audience there, these followers of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, they would understand, oh yeah, those are great things. But who can really have them? For whom are they reality? More than simple aspiration. They couldn't really belong to us, could they? And Peter says, absolutely. Why? Remember Peter, first of all, who's writing this letter? Remember his own experiences. Probably the highlight of Peter's career was that time that Jesus asked him what I've told you is the most important question anybody can ever face. Jesus asking, who do you say that I am? And Peter had the right answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, without missing a heartbeat, fires back at Peter and asks the second most, answers the second most important question, which is, who am I? Remember, Jesus says, you are Peter, Simon. He changes his name. His name had been Simon before his answer to that question. Afterwards, it's Peter, which is Petros in Greek, means rock. It's a whole new name. It's a whole new sense of identity for Peter. And this is the important thing, that when you know who Jesus is, then and only then can you know who you are. Peter gets it. He's heard him, when he says, you're the Christ, Jesus says, Simon, you're a rock. Jesus can change a life, but how? Well, it has to do with this scandalous and beautiful phrase, participants of the divine nature. Did you see that? It's there in verse 4. It's a mind-bending phrase. What could this possibly mean? Peter says, you are, because of what Jesus has done, and because you know Jesus, you are participants in the divine nature. That's about God. I say, what? I thought the whole thing was, you are God and I am not, and we'd all be better off if we just kept it that way. And Peter seems to be blurring the distinction between us and God. You're participants in the divine nature, he says. What could this mean? Well, he is beginning to draw forth the implications of the, of the incarnation. The fact that in the fullness of time, the creator of the universe stepped into uh, to time and space to become a creature. He took on flesh. He took on our human nature. And Peter understands this. And theologians since those early days have marveled at this beautiful phrase. 
In the second century, Irenaeus reflected on it. He said, through his transcendent love, our Lord Jesus Christ became what we are, that uh, he might make us to be what he is. Even more troubling and beautiful, perhaps, Athanasius in the fourth century went even further. And he said, God became man that man might become God. Whoa. Now, we want to be careful with that. What could this possibly mean? Well, I think to understand that, we have to reflect more carefully on the language that Peter himself uses. I I really want to understand what Peter is saying, even more than I I, I want to try to wrap my head around what Athanasius is saying there. Peter uses the word koinonia. Right there, the word participants is koinonia. It's the word we use in our mission statement, share, in the sharing of hope. To use the New Living Translation of verse 4, here's how it comes out. And because of his glory and excellence, that's Jesus, because of Jesus' glory and excellence, God has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature, to participate in God's divine nature, Jesus' divine nature, and escape the world, the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now, the word koinonia appears all over the New Testament. It's translated in so many different ways that you and I tend not to see it. It's 66 times, 66 verses I counted. Uh, It's a very important word in the Bible. It's a very important concept for us as we are called to share hope in Jesus Christ. What's the core meaning of koinonia? By the way, if you want to write it down, it's K-O-I-N, koinonia, koinonia. The core meaning is about common. Uh, we call biblical Greek Koine Greek because it was common Greek. It was just the Greek that everybody used. It, it just, it, if, if you have koinonia with someone, you share something with them. And I think the essential meaning of it is what belongs to me belongs to you. What belongs to you belongs to me. We have it. We share it in common. And so what's in common here between a human being and God who made her? Well, uh, nature There's a common nature somehow. And I think, as I say, Peter is reflecting on the fact that God, the divine nature, took on a human nature in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the overlap between humanity and divinity. In Jesus, God claims something that belongs to us. What does he claim? God claims our sin. God claims our death. God even claims the challenges that we face today. And what does God invite us to claim in Jesus? He invites us to claim the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, and the resources of Jesus Christ to face our challenges even today. So can a person change? Probably not. But can God change a person? Without a doubt. You see, here's the good news. Jesus is saying, share my nature, my divine nature, because I share yours. Now, how does this change happen? What would it look like? Well, I think Peter is very clear. Do you notice how many times the word knowledge comes up? And in every case, it refers to knowledge of Jesus Christ, that intimate knowing of another person. 
In verse 3, we see his divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And so my answer to how we change is we know Jesus. When you know who Jesus is, not just that you will know who you are, as Peter did, you will become who you are, who you really are. See, the good news is change doesn't come from you. You don't have to generate it. Everything pertaining to life and godliness has been given to you, Peter says. It's already yours in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. This is grace. You don't have to generate it. You don't have to try to reform or refurbish your own nature. The nature of God is within you. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I get it. But that's the promise here. You're a participant of the divine nature. A friend of mine recently visited another friend in another city. Let's call her name Kelly. And my friend said, I went to see her because she's had some really hard times. It was about two years ago that Kelly uh, got pregnant. She was at a party and she's, my friend said, Kelly's not this type of person. But she found herself at the wrong time, the wrong place, in the wrong frame of mind. She did something she told herself she would never do. And now she's got a child. She's a single mother. The father never spent another day with her or, or his child. And uh, she's working until recently she lost her job. And now she's burning out the end of her Social Security. And she doesn't know what's going to happen next. And this is what I thought was so interesting. Um, I asked, what did you talk about? And she said, well, here's the question Kelly wanted to know from me. And I'm thinking, do you have any money? You know, do you have any connections? No, what Kelly wanted to know is, what is Jesus Christ doing in your life? Well, that's so interesting because she has a sense that Jesus Christ is doing something in her life too in the midst of circumstances that just seem beyond her ability to control and make it any change. She's, she wants to know Jesus. Who is this man? What does he do in a person's life? Tell me how he's alive in you because I desperately need to see how he can be more alive in me. I want to know him. Because I know he can change me. I know he can change the circumstances of my life. I know he's the best for my child. You have a nature that God loves. Some of you don't believe that. I've watched some of you speak very damaging about yourself. Friends of mine throw the golf club into the woods and say, you idiot. And they're talking to themselves. And I say, no. You have no idea. God made you in love. He likes you. He likes who you are. There's nobody else like you. You've got a unique image. And he's refurbishing that image himself. God is investing in that image. God has become human. He's taken on your nature. That's got to be uncomfortable for God. (laughs) But he's done it because he loves who you are. And he wants to bring out the real you. C.S. Lewis argues that there are really two kinds of life. There's a physical life and there's what he calls spiritual life. And the difference between the two is as vast as the difference between a living human being and a statue. And he says in his his book, Mere Christianity, that this world is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues and there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. And it's beginning to happen already. 
And so I think this is why it's so fascinating to me that Peter begins this letter with both of his names. Did you notice this? We didn't read this part, but in verse 1, 1, see how it begins? Simon Peter. Because I think that tells the whole story right there. That's the before, after. Simon Peter. Who I was, who I am becoming. Who I knew myself to be without Jesus Christ, who I know I really am now that I'm a participant in the divine nature See, the way I knew myself and the way I aspire to be, Simon Peter. Recently, uh, I was thinking about Jason Gray, who's a recording artist, and he's a man with a speech impediment. And I imagine they would have said, you'll never amount to anything that has anything to do with words, certainly not singing. He's a man who even changed his name to have a stage name that I guess would be more marketable. And yet... He's written this beautiful song, Remind Me Who I Am. Jason Gray, when I lose my way and I forget my name, remind me who I am. In the mirror, all I see is who I don't want to be. Remind me who I am. In the loneliest places, when I can't remember what grace is, tell me once again who I am to you. Who I am to you. Tell me lest I forget who I am to you, that I belong to you, to you. What about you? What needs to change in your life? It may be worth asking that question, daring to ask that question. That maybe we thought, I don't even dare to think about this aspect of myself. And by the way, if something comes to your mind today, you know that one thing that you just realized, life would be so much better if I just changed this one thing. I would encourage you to write it down, and even better than that, to share it with someone today. But more importantly than the question of what needs to change in your life, Peter insists you need to face the question, do you know who you are? If you know Jesus, you need to know who you are. You need to let him tell you who you are, not anybody else. Not the world, not yourself. What names have you been given? What names have you given yourself? Burned, broken, busted, beaten, broke, but what are the names? What are Jesus' names? What is the divine nature revealed to us perfectly in Jesus of Nazareth, this first century carpenter? What are his names? And which one do you need to claim for yourself today, this week, this year? Names like Rock or um, Beloved or Peace or Holy or Mercy, Faithful, Good, Wise. I don't know. Maybe you're like me and it's patient. This is the mystery, the Apostle Paul says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So don't give up, friends. Be persistent. I also want to say be patient with yourself. A group of designers in uh, California, an international design firm called IDEO, the CEO, uh, says that our design team have found that uh, there are these two emotional highs uh, in every design process. The first at the beginning, uh, which he calls um, hope, and the second at the end, which he calls confidence, but they found they got to go through this U, which they call the foggy period. And that's where nothing looks right, and it ex- we experience it as failure. But the good news of the gospel is God does not fail. That's part of the definition of being God, and you have the divine nature in you to will and to work. 
Jesus Christ is the life living within you, changing you, reforming, renewing, re-engaging you in fresh ways with the life that he's given you to, to live. Be patient with yourself, but be expectant. You're being renewed in your inner person. You're being changed from one degree of glory to another. See how the Bible's filled with this optimism that you could get to who, where, from where you think you are today to where you really want to be, even better than that, to where God wants you to be. I want to ask you this morning as I close, can you imagine how we will change as we let Christ be the one who lives through us? Can you imagine how this city would change? Jesus only needed 11. And we, there are 4,000 of us. I mean, if we only had 11 of us that would let Jesus Christ live within us over against the challenges that we face today, what a beautiful city this would become. I don't know if you caught this. One of the people that was shot in Washington, D.C. in the Naval Yard, this tragic shooting, was named Martin Abagrad. And Martin was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was involved with a ministry called Young Life, which reaches out to youth. And I know a lot of you are involved with Young Life here in Seattle. It's a wonderful ministry. Martin was a regular guy. He's 54 years old. His kids had long since left high school. But he continued to work with adolescents. Continued to let Jesus Christ live in him as he related to adolescents. And I think if we were to go up to heaven right now and do one of these stories of hope with Martin, he would be so surprised at what they're saying down here on earth about him. CNN did an interview and talked to some of the kids who are now adults. And they say, you know, just knowing Martin made such a difference in my life. And I can't quite put my finger on it. And maybe CNN didn't want to quite tell them what that was. But you and I know it was Jesus Christ. Their lives have been changed. And Martin's agenda wasn't to change their life. Martin's agenda was just to let Jesus live through him. And Jesus did a beautiful thing. And he had no idea. And I want to suggest to you that you have no idea the impact you're making right now. That you will make even this week. So finally, before you look in the mirror today, again, take a really good look at the divine nature in Jesus Christ. And then take a new look at yourself. You may be a wild animal, but if you let Jesus into the wilderness of your soul, you will find the wonderful wildness of God himself. Let's pray. God, I confess, maybe we all confess, we don't have words to describe the fathomless grace with which you hold us. We are alive in and only in Jesus Christ. And that you, through Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit, are in us. We pray that today would be a day of fresh surrender. May we give you all that we are so that we might know Jesus more fully, not just know about Jesus, but know the fullness of Jesus in our lives, in our midst. We pray that your Holy Spirit might call to mind an area, not just that needs to change, but that really can change and give us the boldness to believe again. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. 
To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.